Welcome to Beyond the Entertainment, where we take a look at the lives of those who entertain us. I'm talking about the tragedies, scandals, and crimes committed by them or to them. No one is off limits. We're going to talk about everyone from sports entertainers, Hollywood, YouTubers, and everyone in between. Everyone has a story to tell, and I'm here to tell you theirs. Right, hello, everyone. It's Stephanie, back to tell you another tragic tale. I have a surprise, though. I have someone here with me today, and I figured since this was his request, I'd bring him in and tell him the story while I tell you. So, why don't you introduce yourself and say hi? Uh, hi, I'm Milo. I'm her son. I'm very cool. Alright, so today I'm going to be talking about someone we all know and whose story you might be familiar with, the blonde bombshell Marilyn Monroe. I'm going to start off with a trigger warning as there will be some talk about child sexual abuse. I'm not going to be going into any detail or anything, but I just want to give you a heads up. This will be the first part of a two-part story because there is so much information that I felt you should know to truly understand her as a person. And as I learned more about her life, I realized I related to her on a personal level. And I think there will be a lot of people who feel the same way. She just wanted to be loved for who she was as a person, for her talent, and wanted to belong. But she didn't have a stable home as a child. Her talent was valued far too late. And most of the men around her only wanted one thing, her body. She suffered in her mind, often feeling alone, even surrounded by people who were supposed to care for her until she tragically overdosed on prescription medication. To truly understand her story, we need to start at the beginning of her life and the mother who brought her into this world. Marilyn Monroe was born Norma Jean Mortensen on June 1st, 1926 to Gladys Pearl Baker. Gladys was mentally unstable and spent time in and out of asylums. It is probably safe to say that Marilyn inherited her mental illness from her mother. In the early 1900s, mental health care was not the same as we know it now, and it wasn't as easy to get proper diagnosis or medication needed to maintain stability. Gladys had two other children before Marilyn was born with her first husband, Jack Baker, who also went by Jasper, who she was married off to at the age of 15 at the encouragement of her mother, Della Monroe, because Della was involved with a man who wasn't keen on a woman with children. Jack was an abusive husband, and when Gladys divorced him, the reasoning stated was extreme cruelty by abuse and calling her vile names and using profane language at and in her presence by striking and kicking, which was common on divorce papers during the time. She had a son named Robert and a daughter Bernice with Jack. After their divorce, Jack took the children with him to Kentucky, even though Gladys was awarded custody because he did not see her as a fit mother. Gladys followed them to Kentucky to try to get her children back and prove she could be a good mother. The reality set in that as a 21-year-old single mother to children that were five and two, it would be difficult to work and care for them. She knew he wouldn't let her have them, so she resigned her pursuit of her children and moved to Los Angeles, where she met Grace McKee, a vivacious and fun-loving woman who was determined to make it in Hollywood. The two women grew close very quickly and moved into an apartment together. They embraced the flapper era and lived out the fantasy lifestyle of the movie stars they read about. The following year, 1923, Gladys met Edward Martin Mortensen, and Grace tried to tell her not to pursue him as he was the complete opposite of Gladys. Edward was religious and valued the standard of morality, and Gladys led more of a wild party girl lifestyle. Somehow, they were happy together long enough to get married, but Gladys soon became very bored with her new husband, and life just wasn't fun anymore. They separated shortly after getting married. Expected. Their personalities didn't sync very well together. Yeah. Like, he was very religious and strict, and she was like, well, let's go do some stuff. Yeah. Mm. And the situation opposites do not attract. Well, they did, but they just don't stay happy. Yeah. Gladys had begun an affair after her husband left, 
with who was rumored to be her boss at the time, but it has never been verified. The man rumored to be Marilyn's father was Charles Stanley Gifford, and as a newly divorced man with children of his own, he was not willing to be tied down again with a new woman and child. He offered money to Gladys to terminate her pregnancy, which she refused, and he told her that she is lucky to still be married so that she could give the child her husband's name. This resulted in Marilyn being Norma Jean Mortensen, although she usually went by Norma Jean Baker since Baker was the last name her mother used. Gladys brought her daughter home where she lived with Grace, but just a few days later, she had an episode where she believed that Grace was trying to poison her baby and tried to stab her. Grace was able to get the knife away, but it became very clear that this was not going to be a safe place for a baby. We now know that childbirth can wreak havoc with mental health, especially with the fluctuation of hormones, and even mothers without previous mental health concerns can develop them after giving birth. Having Marilyn escalated her condition, and this is when Marilyn's grandmother, Della Monroe, stepped in to help make sure she would be safe. That's definitely, like, a lot of paranoia then, especially with her child and having, imagining someone hurting your child. Like, if it was, if you had those thoughts and you're like, oh, someone's gonna poison my son, you'd be like, oh god. But she took it to the max because she had like a lot. She she wasn't mentally stable and it was just like a lot of mental health issues. I think she was hallucinating. Um, Later on, we talk about her diagnosis and stuff. But um, yeah, I mean, obviously there's medication for the stuff now. But back then, it it was pretty basic on diagnosis and treatment and what they would do for you. Yeah, it was almost always like if you showed like any sign of like, like schizophrenia or like even if like you were just autistic, they would just throw you in an asylum. Oh, well, we'll get to that. Oh. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. All right. Across from Della lived the Bolanders, a very religious couple who took in foster children to care for. Della felt like they would be able to care for Marilyn and give a stable life while Gladys worked to pay for her care the entirety of her stay with the family. When Marilyn was just one, her grandmother broke into the Bolanders' home and tried to smother her as a way to cleanse her daughter's sin. Dear <laughs> So mental illness was not just her mother, it was her grandmother as well. I see it runs in the family then. Yeah, so Della was then institutionalized, suffering from hallucinations and delirium, and she died only a month later. The Bolanders continued to care for Marilyn, and later said they wanted to adopt her, but were unable to. It's believed that Gladys wouldn't allow anyone to adopt her daughter because she felt one day she would be able to have her back in her life full time. Um, They were good foster parents to Marilyn, and this was probably the most peaceful time in her life. However, she was very curious and often found herself in trouble. Marilyn remembers them fondly, however, and stated that she didn't feel they ever meant to do her any harm. It was just their religion. They told Marilyn her ideas of wanting to be an actress and going to the movies was sinful. They made her feel ashamed of her body. And of course, sex or a curiosity of the opposite gender was a sin. As she grew, it created a complex of sorts around how she viewed herself. And in the complete opposite effect they were trying to accomplish, Marilyn became obsessed with being naked and people seeing her naked. She even had a fantasy of being in a flowy skirt with no undergarments, walking through the church with the parishioners laying on their backs, looking up at her in all her glory. Oh, my lordy lord. (laughs) I knew that would get you. That was... Boy, you're not his finest. That's all I have to say. Especially, like, when people, when, like, like, people are like, hey, don't do this, they only want to do that more. Like it's it's a it's common sense, and also the fact that they're body shaming her at such a young age is really like disgusting. You shouldn't be like you shouldn't love your body. You shouldn't you you're looking like this. You know you're not you're not good enough. And then when you get older, it's just like oh you know you're less of a woman. You don't love yourself. You know you should be proud for what you have. They switch up. 
Well, I think because she was so young, they were trying to be really strict about it and not, you know, the religious views was, you know, like, don't go out dressed certain ways or don't act certain ways. You should be morally correct. And this is how we expect you to behave. And she was young. And so she was like curious about things because that's just kind of how she was in nature where she wasn't that like very, I guess, you know, kind of timid. She wasn't very timid. I guess is what I was looking for. And so like, for her, she created this fantasy where she's just like, you know, what? what's wrong with being naked? What's wrong with the human body? And I kind of yeah. just want everybody to see Especially me. since, like, religion was a very strict thing back then. Now it's kind of more chill, but some people still take it to the extreme. And yeah. I, feel, I feel bad for, like, having to live in that environment. Even though the Bolanders were the only people Marilyn knew as her mother and father, she was not allowed to call them that. Mailer remembers being told she had to call them aunt and uncle, and it was crushing to her as she was so little. She didn't understand why her mother wasn't taking care of her and why she didn't have a father. One evening when Marilyn was six, a puppy followed Mr. Bolander home and let Marilyn keep it. She was so happy and felt so attached to this puppy she named Tippy. Unfortunately, when she returned home from school one day, the neighbor had killed her dog and she was- I knew it! I knew it! It always happens. Oh, a puppy followed her home. She was really attached to it. Boom, dead. I hate that. Yeah, so needless to say, she was devastated, and the Bolanders called Gladys in an attempt to comfort her. Little did they know that this would result in Gladys developing the idea that she wanted to and could care for her daughter. Since the arrangement was not something dictated by the state, they had no choice but return her to her mother. When Gladys came to collect her daughter and her things, she was found cowering in fear in her closet. Oh my god. This woman that she barely knows is coming to take her to live with her and taking her from her home that she grew up in, the place that she knows. It's a scary yeah. thing when you're little. She doesn't realize it's her mom. I think she knows it's her mom. It's just that because she wasn't there for her or visiting her that often, for her, she didn't correlate her with mom. Yeah. Where are we at? All right. This living arrangement didn't last very long as Gladys soon realized again that she was not built for this mother business. Now, as a mother, I can understand that she would want to raise her child and felt that tug, but pulling her from a stable and carrying home is not the best decision, even if they may not have been the best personality match for Marilyn. Gladys and her friend Grace, who was still pretty influential in her life, decided to get the English couple across the street to look after Marilyn. They were George and Maude Atkinson and were in the movie business, but mostly working as extras, and they had a daughter, Nellie, as well. They were much more relaxed and energetic. So they took the time to teach Marilyn how to juggle, hula, and throw knives. They sm- oh, that changed. Hula, you know, juggling, throwing knives. Yeah. Well, you know, like they have the, like the target. Axe and tossing. Just- yeah. yeah. They smoked, drank, and were carefree, which after the strict household she was just in was rather refreshing and exciting for Marilyn. However, it was also confusing after having been told that all these things were a sin and you would go to hell. So she just had to work out what really was good and bad for herself. Gladys somehow managed to get a loan and was able to buy a large house that she shared with Marilyn and the Atkinson family. They were all able to live happily under the same roof, but this was a lot of pressure on the unstable Gladys. She received word that her firstborn son had died tragically at 15 due to a kidney infection, and that her grandfather had committed suicide and hung himself at 82 years old. This news, on top of the stress of the home and being a mother again, started to put cracks in her mental state, and she threw herself down the stairs in an attempt to commit suicide, while Marilyn and the Atkinsons were having breakfast. How do you throw yourself down the stairs? I'm just assuming- Do you just, like, 
you're ragdolling. <laughs> I'm assuming you're like at the top of the stairs and you just like jump headfirst down the stairs. Maybe it's just like it's. I feel I picture it as like a scene from Paranormal Activity where she's just oh my god. I mean maybe. Just imagine how awkward that is. You're eating breakfast and then some lady is throwing herself down the stairs. Yeah. I can imagine it's pretty startling. And definitely startling. Like, and she lived? So she just has to get up and be like, oh, my bad. I tripped. Well, the Atkinsons went to check on her, and they obviously called for help. Yeah. Gladys was taken to Los Angeles County General Hospital and was then transferred to Norwalk Mental Hospital, where she was diagnosed as schizophrenic. After a year, Gladys was declared insane and competent, and Grace was given guardianship of Marilyn. This clashed with her divorce single life, so the home was sold, the Atkinsons moved, and she needed to figure out what to do with her new child ward. This time in her life is a little chaotic, as Marilyn was shuffled from home to home. It is known that at first Grace had given her to the Neville Camps briefly, then to the Griffins, the Carrolls, and eventually an orphanage. Marilyn accounts that she mm-hmm. was shuffled around to ten homes, including the orphanage. Some of these families truly cared for her and wanted to adopt her, but Gladys would never give permission to any family to adopt her daughter. The consequences of the shuffling led her to the arms of a predator that Marilyn spoke publicly about. A man in one of the border houses assaulted her when she was just eight years old. She has also revealed other accounts of abuse by a cousin and former foster father. The first assault is when she formed a stutter that she struggled with throughout her lifetime. She is one of the first major public figures to speak out about sexual abuse. There was never any proof this happened aside from what she told others, but there rarely is in these cases and I have no reason to discount her story. She felt it was important to tell her story, and the only reason people doubted her was because they thought it was a ploy for sympathy from the public in the beginning of her career. I can't imagine revealing intimate details or feeling that you need to reveal these things and to have people doubt you so publicly. Uh, I feel like it's it's a very common thing for sexual assault in, like, you know, unstable places and, like, families. And, you know, they never they never get out there because they don't normally let people publicly speak on that. Well, when you're young, too, they yeah. will hide who you are because they don't need the public or want the public to really know and prosecute you or judge you because you made these claims against someone. Yeah. But also back then, it wasn't really something that was discussed. Yeah. So it's pretty brave of her to be one of the first people to actually speak publicly about these things. Yeah. Now, Marilyn was sent to the orphanage in September of 1935, and this was a devastating blow to her. She so desperately wanted a place to belong and a family that loved her. The orphanage just solidified in her mind that she was alone. Grace and the staff had to drag her inside, all while she was fighting and screaming, I'm not an orphan, over and over. Oh, God. It's really sad. It is. During her stay here, she was picked on and called Norma Jean the human being because she was a rather small child. It's a kind of funny nickname, but it has, like, it's so, you know, the reason behind it is, like, so sad that she had to go through that. All when, when she was just, like, not even in her teens yet. Mm-mm. Now she's just a little kid, getting bounced around house to house, and now she's in an orphanage being picked on because she's tiny. But as a result of this teasing, her stutter got worse, and she remained pretty quiet, but she did what she was asked and was considered to be a polite child. Marilyn recounts her experience badly there, and it might have been the resentment of being abandoned that made the entire experience unbearable for Marilyn. Interviews with the orphanage revealed they treated her as any other child, And she was not singled out, but in the end, it's another her word against theirs that was interpreted as another tragic story for a publicity stunt. To Marilyn, her feelings and experiences during this time were very traumatizing. And if they were an exaggeration of sorts to the severity of said experiences, 
it is important to remember that her feelings are valid. Marilyn's third husband, Arthur Miller, recounts that she could walk into a crowded room and pick out who was an orphan. It was like there was a bottomless, lonely look of do you like me in their eyes that no parented person could see. In 1936, the orphanage told Grace that they recommended Marilyn be put with a good family and almost shamed her into doing something. So she went to the courts to obtain legal guardianship of Marilyn, which meant that the government would pay her a stipend to cover costs of her care. She didn't end up taking her out of the orphanage, though, until 1937, even though she was already receiving the payments. The hesitancy was because of a previous incident with Grace's husband before she dropped Marilyn at the orphanage. The living arrangement didn't last long because Grace's husband, nicknamed Doc, was molesting 11-year-old Marilyn. So Grace had to find somewhere else for her to live. Now, this is incredible to me that this woman is still with a man who molested her best friend's child. I understand that he had a good job and could provide for her in a time where it would be hard as a single woman to survive on your own. But come on, you know this is happening and you still chose him. And, you know, she could have divorced him while she was getting the payments and then she could have found someone else that could that she could rely on and actually was like a nice person i feel like that's like that's a better option yeah i don't know if it was like this is stability and i really like him and i want to be with him and this child is like an inconvenience that i got stuck with but i'm getting paid or if she's just kind of a horrible person because i don't see how you can stay with someone like that either way that's a horrible person because the first option was, oh, this child's an inconvenience. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I think she's she's not the best person either way. And she didn't really seem to be that great of an influence on her mom. Although she did try to give her some decent advice and be like, hey, don't marry this guy because you're yeah. not a good match. <laughs> yeah. All right. Knowing Marilyn couldn't stay with her. She was then shipped off to live with her Aunt Olive, and Grace would pay her half the stipend she received for her care. Her aunt was married to Gladys's brother, Marion, who had disappeared in 1929. He went to work one day and was never seen again. It is speculated that he had a mental breakdown, and this led to his disappearance. Unfortunately, this is where she experienced an assault by her cousin Jack. So yet again, another unsuccessful home placement, where she experiences trauma and needs to be removed from the home. Oh my god. I know. It's very disappointing. He's just never safe anywhere. She really isn't. It's incredibly sad. Like, it makes a lot of sense as to what happened to her and how she, you know, how her life ended based on her entire life experience. Right. The next placement was probably the best experience that young Marilyn would have so far as she was sent to live with Grace's Aunt Anna. She was in her 50s but had a steady income from rental properties, so she didn't take her in for the money. She was a grandmotherly figure to Marilyn and was a healer in the Christian Sciences Church. The only downfall of that religion was that they did not believe in medical interference and that all things could be healed through prayer. However, this is a time where in Marilyn's life that she stated she looked fondly on and that she loved her dearly. Marilyn turned 12 at Aunt Anna's house and started to become a woman, which brought a few struggles, but also a few perks. She unfortunately experienced long and painful periods when she started menstruating and would later be diagnosed with endometriosis. But becoming a woman in that sense also meant that her body was changing in other ways. She was no longer Norma Jean the human being as her curves developed and so did her self-confidence. Yas, queen. (laughs) She loved the attention and stares she received and she finally felt seen in the world. It was like a new world of feminine power was hers for the taking. This was also around the time she learned of siblings and her brother's tragic passing. It must be quite confusing to have spent 12 years feeling alone with no true family and finding out you have siblings. 
The sisters that be- died. Well, no, not all of them died. <laughs> well, finding out that one of them died. Yeah, that's true. The sisters began talking to each other through letters, but they would never meet in person until Marilyn became an adult. Unfortunately, in 1941, Marilyn would need to find a new home again, but that was because Anna was ill. She was suffering from a heart condition and wasn't able to continue taking care of her. Grace had to take her in once more, but felt that because they had Doc's two daughters from her previous marriage living there, that the threat to her safety was minimal. I don't see the logic in that, but Marilyn went to live with her and shared a room with one of the girls who was the same age as her. I'm scared. I'm scared if something's going to happen to her. The logic behind the fact that he had his two daughters from a previous marriage living there reduced the threat. At the same time, is she really that confident that he's not doing anything to his own children? And also, I feel like they would do something to her because of their father. Like, what if they learned that from him and thought it was okay? It's just like, ugh. Well, you don't have to worry too much because this wouldn't last very long. Doc was offered a job in another state that was too good to pass up. Los Angeles would stop paying Grace to take care of Marilyn if they moved out of state, so she had to figure out what to do with the now 15-year-old. Grace had a plan. A handsome 20-year-old plan. Uh, (laughs) I'm scared. Grace's neighbor had a son, Jim, who was working for Lockheed Aircraft and was the former Van Nuys High School football captain and class president. She decided to set them up on a date, and seeing that there was some chemistry, approached her neighbor about getting her son to marry Marilyn. It's just that easy. Hey, one date. Let's get married. (laughs) That ring on my finger popped that pretty question. Well, her neighbor was sympathetic to Marilyn's situation and knew she would end up back at the orphanage. So she encouraged her son to think about it. In a way, it feels like they used the orphanage scenario to guilt him into agreeing, which doesn't seem like a solid start to a relationship. Definitely not. And they only been on one date. Exactly. So after a few more dates, Jim decided he would marry her, and Marilyn told her classmates that she wouldn't be returning to school after she completed the 10th grade. She would be a married woman after all. Oh, God. I can't imagine, bro. I can't even imagine being married right now. Right, and she's only two years older than you at this point? Yeah. I mean, if Ange got married, I'd be like, yo, why? Didn't her friend get married? Or no, she got engaged, and they were supposed to get married, and they broke up. Yeah. For a good reason. He was mean. Anyway, enough tea. Think about it. Her mom got married off at 15. Yeah. I guess it was like um, a thing to get married young, wasn't it? Yeah. Well, we're approaching more times, so. Yeah. All right. So Marilyn seemed to embrace the married life, but it seemed to her more like she was a little girl playing housewife than an actual reality. Her mother-in-law had stated that she just needed to feel secure and that she needed to belong somewhere. She was an immaculate housekeeper and a good cook. She tried to be happy in her new life, and someday she really was. Her husband would recall that dichotomy stating she was Gemini. Oh my god, (laughs) me! I could see Norma Jean some days. Some days, I don't recognize the girl. She'd always come back and be Norma Jean again. A year after their marriage, the war was in full swing, and Jim was enlisted in the Merchant Marines. He would be shipped off for long periods of time, so Marilyn moved in with her in-laws and got a job working for Radio Plane, inspecting and folding parachutes. This is where a photographer would come in and take her first picture. David Conover was taking pictures of pretty working ladies to boost the morale of soldiers, and when he saw her, he knew he had to take her picture. Little did he know that this was the start of a legacy. Isn't she like 15, 16 currently? It was a year after their marriage, so she was about, she would have been 16, maybe almost 17. Kind of weird, bro. Hey, look at this pretty teenager, guys. You're going to war, but you know, look at this. Well, it was kind of a misogynistic time period. Yeah. 
they wanted to boost soldier morale and they thought pretty girls is a way to do it, which, I mean, logically kind of makes sense. Yeah. But also, man, she's a teenager. I don't think he knew she was a teenager at the time, though. Anyways. <laughs> David Conover saw the camera loved her and asked her to take more pictures, where he got her set up with a professional portfolio before introducing her to modeling agent Emmeline Snively with the Blue Book Modeling Agency. Emmeline Snively is responsible for her change from her natural brunette hair to the blonde that we are familiar with. She Dude, told- Marilyn Monroe was a brunette. I thought she was always blonde. No, she dyed it blonde. Because I've never seen younger pictures of her. If you look up her story or anything on her biography, like even like Wikipedia, they show the first picture of her and like some of her early modeling pictures where she was doing like pinup style stuff. Mm-hmm. And you can see her with her brown hair right before she turns to blonde. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, I think the blonde hair kind of looked more maybe exotic. because more it- pinup-y. Yeah. Well, I think because it was like the bleach blonde, so it was very bright. Yeah. So it's not exactly like a natural hair color. So people were like, ooh, look at that. Yeah. So Marilyn's husband was still traveling with the Merchant Marines and didn't mind her modeling as he thought it was something that made her happy while he was gone. It was expensive, and he recalled that she would be spending more on clothes for modeling than she was bringing in. Well, at least he cares what makes her happy. That's true. He does care. I mean, I'm sure he would have appreciated that she didn't spend as much on clothes. Yeah. You know, maybe kept it more of closer to what she well, was actually now, bringing in. Well, now most models have their clothes bought for them and like given to them for shoots. So, you know, maybe if she was born a a couple of years later, a few more years later, she was born in, like, what? 1926. Dude, I was gonna say 1920, but that seemed too far. So, okay, so instead of a couple years later, I'd say 70 years later. I think a lot of things would have been different for Marilyn if she was born a lot later. And probably would have been a lot better. Yeah, she probably would have been a lot more healthy and stable household. That's very true. Especially if it was that same exact family and they were, you know, her mother probably would have been more stable because they were able to provide her medication and stuff like that. Well, she also wouldn't have been allowed to just bounce around from home to home. The state would have taken her in if it was shown that she wasn't stable. She would have went right into, like, foster care and her mother wouldn't have been able to stop an adoption to a good family. Yeah. All right, so let's see. Where were we? We're talking about her husband. So when he was in Buenos Aires, she was on the cover of a magazine and he showed his comrades and told them that that was his wife and they didn't believe him. He thought that once he came home, she would stop, but Marilyn was falling in love with the attention that she received and began to love the body that as a child she was taught to hate. Girl boss moment. And I'm glad she's like, you know, she's finally getting confidence after all those years. That's a good thing. Yeah, well, I'm sure she saw pictures of herself and could see how pretty she was and that she didn't need to hate herself. Mm-hmm. And everybody was like, oh my god, you're so pretty, and that probably made her confidence go, like, way up. Oh, I'm sure. There are some downfalls to that later on, but I'm not yeah. going to get into it at the moment. Marilyn was featured on the cover of five magazines one month, and this sparked some interest from 20th Century Fox's casting agent, Ben Leon. He wanted to test her on the set of Mother Wears Tights, which was in production at the time, so he could have a better chance of getting her cast in the future. This is where she met Alan Whitey Snyder, who did her makeup and went to do all her future makeup for any movies and events that she would appear in. The screen test was simple, only lasting a few minutes but was ready to be sent to the studio director, Daryl F. Zanuck, within hours. Leon snuck it into what Zanuck would be looking for that day and decided that Marilyn needed to be given her first contract. This contract was for six months. 
and she would be paid $75 a week, and at the end of the six months, they would decide if they would extend it. Grace had moved back to Los Angeles, and she went with Marilyn to sign her contract, because even though she was 20 years old at the time, you had to be 21 or older to sign a contract without your legal guardian. At this time, they changed her name from Norma Jean to Marilyn, and she decided that she wanted to honor her mother by using her maiden name as her new last name. She was starting over as Marilyn Monroe, and for her fresh start to work, she decided to divorce her husband, as she was not going to be the happy housewife he wanted. Oh, well, that's like, at least like, hey, I'm not, I'm not gonna be what you want, so I gotta go. Yeah, and I think it was a little bit of respect for him as well, because yeah. they had been together for a while, and, you know, she knows what his expectations are, and he yeah. wants her to stop. She doesn't want to. It's best to kind of part ways yeah. and do what makes both of you happy. Yeah. And, you know, especially since, like, they kind of didn't, you know, want to be in this relationship, but they are forced to, and they, you know, you have to have, like, some respect for the other person, especially because they only went on, like, what, five dates? Yeah. And they didn't know each other before that. Yeah, they didn't have a lot of dates. It was, it definitely was, like, an arranged kind of experience. Yeah. But they did make the best of it, I think. Yeah. I mean, he wasn't abusive or mean or anything to her. He tried, you know, his best to show her love and care for her. Yeah, and he was supportive of her for the most part. Yeah, he seems to be one of... One of the good ones, I think, as far as, like, men that are in her life. Her start in the movie business was a little rough, as she was mostly utilized for extra work, and this resulted in the studio dropping her. Her agent, Harry Lipton, recalled that once she got over the shock, she realized that there were plenty of pretty young girls trying to make it, and she needed to make herself stand out. Unfortunately, she would have to suffer a little more before it got better. She made some money with modeling gigs, but floated around Los Angeles just trying to survive sometimes only able to afford one meal a day. She began to learn that one thing was consistent, and that was the use of sex to make it in the city. The modeling agency doubled as an escort service, and many women would go out on dates with multiple men a week. Marilyn never did that, but she realizes she needed to get attention somehow and started wearing clothes that would show off her body more. She had her honey blonde hair, glossy red lips, and her tight white clothing would keep all eyes on her, but she had an innocence to it that made her different. In August of 1947, Marilyn met John and Lucille Carroll. John was an actor, and Lucille was the head of talent for MGM Studios. They were at a golf tournament where young starlets were assigned to be caddies to add sex appeal to the event, and Marilyn was matched with them. Imagine wanting sex appeal for golf, the most boring sport ever. I know of some golf tournaments that involve um, exotic dancers. It's like, you know, when, like, people are, like, you know, they have the ladies for, like, um, boxing or racing, and they'll be, like, in basically nothing, and they'll hold the little flags. Yeah, that's the sole purpose. Yeah. Just sex appeal. Imagine having sex appeal for baseball. Lots of cheerleaders on the sideline at football games. Yeah, but it's not always sex appeal. Their outfits have been pretty skimpy over the years. That's true. They found her beauty and lack of social skills adorable and referred to her as Little Kitten. They- Bro, <laughs> why can't people find that about me? My my lack of social skills? Oh my god. You're so cute. You think I'm cute. Of course I think you're cute. Her mom. I'm your little baby. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, they were intrigued by her and decided they needed to help her. They took her into their home where they gave her clothes, allowance for living expenses, gifts, and she ended up living with them for a little over six months. John then gave her a contract of sorts, stating he would pay her $100 a week and promised to help guide her and counsel her to improve her career and prospects. Marilyn would call them often over trivial things, and they decided that she should move into the studio club, 
which was a residential facility for upcoming actors. They paid the first six months of her rent up front. While living in the studio, she discovered the Hollywood party scene, which would result in her meeting and becoming close to the chairman of 20th Century Fox, Joe Schenck. She would attend parties with him and talk to her close friends about servicing him. He would never admit to an affair, but in the industry back in the 40s and 50s, it was pretty well known that to get ahead in the movie business, you had to make some personal sacrifices as a woman. It is honestly quite disturbing and disgusting to think about the way men use their power over these women. Although Marilyn would say that they could have her, but they could never keep her. They wouldn't own her, and that's how she would keep her power. (laughs) Get some snaps. Poetry. This affair with Joe Shank would lead to him asking his friend, who was the head of Columbia Pictures, for a favor, a six-month contract for Marilyn that was signed in March 1948. As part of her contract, Marilyn was to take acting lessons from Natasha Lytes, and the two would form a tight bond. Natasha would stay by Marilyn's side for the next seven years. At first, Natasha was hard on Marilyn, but she saw potential in her. Marilyn lacked a sense of self, and Natasha saw she was a blank canvas that she could mold. She focused a lot on her diction, which is something that ended up standing out in her acting style. After 1951, Marilyn wouldn't perform without Natasha on set, and Natasha recalled that Marilyn was afraid of everything and needed the encouragement and mother figure that she provided for her. She was cast in the low-budget movie Ladies of the Chorus, where she met vocal coach Fred Carger who was recently divorced. He was on the set of Ladies of the Chorus to help her with the songs for the movie. They started seeing each other, and it was the first time Marilyn had truly felt a sexual desire for someone, but the bliss wouldn't last long. I knew the recently divorced meant something. Unfortunately for Marilyn, he still harbored resentment and anger from his divorce, in which he took out on her. After the movie didn't do well, she was dropped from Columbia Pictures, but a silver lining was in the motion picture Herald when they reviewed the movie. They praised her for her performance and singing, but she was still now unemployed again. She went back to the party circuit to look for her next chance. I think this is a good place to stop. We're about to embark on the meat and potatoes of her career. (laughs) The meat and potatoes. The meat and potatoes. A lot of her childhood information was very new to me. I didn't know it was so unstable and traumatizing. The view into her family's mental health struggles brought so much clarity to the later part of Marilyn's life and her death. I do wish that her mother was able to get proper treatment for her condition, but mental health was not the same then as it is now, and they were doing what they knew to treat her. I'm sure if they had access to the medicine and information on mental health that we do now, they all would have been better off. Did you learn anything about Marilyn? A lot. A lot. (laughs) A lot. (laughs) I think a lot of people know more about her death and her movie career than they know about her personal life or her early beginnings. Yeah. Tune in next week for part two, where we'll get into her rise to fame, infamous love affairs, and her tragic death. I hope you're enjoying her story so far, and if you have any suggestions on future stories, please send them in to beyondtheentertainmentpod at gmail.com. I would love to know what you want to hear next. Thank you for listening, and this has been Beyond the Entertainment.